right, Peter, if you're ready, uh, dedication. So what would you like to dedicate this episode Ooh, to? I would love to dedicate it to character actor David Warner, who uh, plays the villain in my favorite film and my husband's favorite film, uh, which is Tron and Titanic, <sighs> oh, uh, yes. respectively. He's still around, too. He's still with us. I just checked him like a week or t- I check him every month just to make sure and... Great dude. I mean, Google David Warner. You'll see his face, and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that guy who has been in everything." David Warner reminds me of my my very famous quote from Kurt Vonnegut: "His bad guys aren't bad all the time, hmm. but when they're bad, they're really good at being bad." Absolutely. Yeah. yeah there's something. Absolutely. There's something about him, and I don't know for an actor if that just ends up weighing on you. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm really people believe me as a jerk. You know, yeah. like that must get like in the almond. Yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. At the end of the day, people just look at your face and say. That's what a jerk looks like. All right, here's to David Warner. Yeah. We're back on the St. Paul Filmcast, and before we get to Peter, um, I want to let you know that I'm on YouTube, Kyle Nick on Film, if you want to see what it looked like. Kyle, Gothi, and I pick a movie a week, um, every Monday morning, new video, so check us out. I'll put the link on there. Like and subscribe greatly helps. Um, and if you want to check out interest in my comic book, The Green Way, it's on any planet, um, digital. If you get to want to just do digital, they're a dollar a book, so check it out. Uh, if you like Pulp Noirs, you will like my book. All right. We are here with Peter Groinum. 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 Yes, thank you. Groinum. You should be a, that's a bad guy name. It is. It is. It sounds uh, like, you know, you should be like the dark devil. But uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Peter it's, yes, it's a villain's name that is uh, unpronounceable to a lot of people. So I, yeah, it's always, it's always a hiccup. Um, but Groinum. <laughs> yeah. It's, is it, because um, you've done a lot of writing and so has I, mm-hmm. but um, when you're writing, do you do names first? You know, because we're talking about we just start out. Yeah, totally. I always I names. I know I'm going to take a long time to come up with just the right name, so I usually put that off until really late in the process. Okay. Uh, unless there's just a name that I just love, and then I'll put that in. But I I actually do this kind of nerdy thing, where um, the main character their letter begins their name begins with an A, and then the secondary character a B and C and D. So it's like. The main character is generally their name starts with A, and I've written a few things that have you know gotten produced, and then and then I'm like, oh right, I I," then I'll notice like, oh, I kept that nomenclature, like I didn't you know I didn't mix it up for the last draft of the script. Uh, But yeah, names are later in the process, but I do hold to that ABC just for my own as I'm writing scenes, just to like keep everybody in their in their lane, as it were, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to okay. How's their connected process? Mm-hmm. Even for a short film, because you don't have a lot of time, right? And you want to at least drip in a little bit of backstory for everybody. Yeah, like, don't bore them to death with the backstory. No, totally. You've got you've got a little bit of time, and you've got to just show who the person is right away, and then who they are, what they are called is a big part of that. And I'm always like, you know, you don't want to write in too much exposition. You don't want somebody walking into a dinner and being like, "Hello, person, person, person by name, person by name," but. But yeah. you do like, you know, you write, but you know that eventually, hopefully, it's going to be filmed. So within a couple of moments, you want somebody to call them by name on screen. Just right. like yeah, yeah. put that put that flag in the... It's hard when you're like, nope, because nobody says, hey, brother. 
Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hello, college roommate. I've not talked to in 10 years. Yeah. So um, with the writing, uh, I kind of a day writer. Do you night? I'm or? mostly nights and weekends. I, um, yeah, it's a, it's a mix, but I usually reserve kind of Saturday as my main writing day. Really? Yeah. And I kind of keep to a regular schedule. Usually Saturdays, I pretend like I'm going to work. And That's I, the difficult challenges. It is. It is. It is. And I, I, you know, I think one of the keys, you know, and I have a ton of advice for people maybe who are starting to get into writing. But, you know, if if you're excited about the project and hopefully you are, then that momentum will kind of keep you on at your seat typing away, you know, like in yeah. some projects, they're slow to come along and you just kind of know where the energy is going. And then others, you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to get out of bed, drink my coffee and get on this just because, you know, it's like it, it's exciting. It's 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 um, I would say when I work on my comic book and my movie. It's very hard when the juices are flowing and it's all exciting because you yeah. have to like calm yourself down. Right, you're completely. Miss a lot of stuff. Yeah, completely. And it's really weird because once you get there, once you hit the peak, like yes, this is perfect. You mm-hmm. have to like take a break. Right, you've got to take a break. The brain is a muscle; you can't wear it out. But you also have to exercise it and get it, you know, get it ready to work. Um, yeah, I, I've, I mean that that rush of like I have all these great ideas. I'm really excited about this project. I think that's what we're all chasing when we create something like yeah. that, like that being in the zone and you're not editing yourself yet. You're just letting it flow. And I mean, that's, you know, the most fun of a new project. Do you um, edit your own scripts or do you have somebody else work with you? I or? tend to I tend to edit myself. I've got I've got a few filmmaking friends who I will send like a second draft to. Yeah. But I, I definitely want to make sure it's presentable when I send it to them. So I'll I'll write it. I'll hone it as I go. And then I'll give it a, a glance and just make sure it's not embarrassing and then I'll send it to them. But it's, um, it's, it's hard to, cause I think the question is kind of deceiving. Do you edit your own scripts, but mm-hmm. you are editing in your own mind. When is the time to end the scene? How definitely. Scenes going. Yeah, definitely. So it's almost like a editing is not, not just a process of when you're done, but you're actually always doing it. You're always doing it. Yeah. Especially if, if you've had something filmed or you've, you've made it yourself and you know, you're always editing, you're always saying, Oh, if we just had this, if we just did that, if I, you know, I mean, the thing that I, I get a lot is six months later, this line of dialogue would have set up the rest of the movie so well or whatever. You know, it's, there's always that perfect little right. little yeah. gem. Uh, do you do index? Do you do index cards? Do I, take- I don't do index cards. Uh little notepad with you? I definitely keep I definitely keep a couple apps on my phone ready and waiting for any ideas and uh, I'm a huge fan of outlining. I think outlining is is so important. So if it's index cards or for me it's usually like a word document or you know um, just notes on a on a piece of paper, but yeah, uh, outlining is is your friend. I I'm I'm one of those that I'm kind of lazy with outlines, but I understand it is a necessity. Totally, totally. It's it's, it's caps your brain right mm-hmm. you're you're almost like a spider web going here going here right and you're like keeps you focused like this is yeah this is the map totally totally and i you know i think i learned the hard way the first feature i wrote uh which will never see the light of day but uh the first feature i wrote <laughs> you know i was like oh i'll just i'll get there when i get there it's fine and then it ended up being way too long and i spent way too much time revising that second half and you know as everyone i think a lot of writing people say if you don't know where the movie's going you really shouldn't like start it just because right. you're giving yourself so much work later in the process. Well, that was my next question. It was, would you always have, before you even write, do you have an ending in mind or you go there? I, I tend to, yeah. I 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of outlines and structure, like 3X structure is another friend of ours that we can lean on. So I don't really know. I know, I know how it begins and then I know how it ends. Like, because it has to be poetic and appropriate yeah. and it has to end on a satisfying note. So really writing the script is getting to that, like earning that ending, earning that moment. Um, so yeah, I mean, the ending is usually like, what is it about? And then how does it end is generally where I start. And I, I, th- I, th- I think I critique too harshly because when I re- movie, I want the perfect ending. Mm-hmm. It has to gel well. It doesn't have to like be, you know, cut off or something. Right. Something like Whiplash, which has a great ending to it. Absolutely. And yeah. That's, the neat, that's what needed to be that ending. Correct. Yeah, but totally. you can have something like Atonement, which kind of has a, a mm-hmm. drift kind of a thing. So right. When totally. When you can, it's not like the perfect ending, but it has to fit the story. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think tone is so important, too. Like, you spend so much time establishing the tone, and then you have to honor that tone in the way it ends. You know, like, not every movie is going to have a happy ending, but as long as it feels true to the world of those people... Right, yeah. Then you've earned it. I just recently we rewatched from my YouTube Untouchables. Oh sure, which yeah, has the greatest ending. Well, how are you going to do to celebrate? I'm going to go out and have a drink. That's right. <laughs> oh, it's such a good line. Oh, it's such a but good line. Yeah, the whole it's a perfect ending because totally encapsulates the whole mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, and it's true. If I recall correctly, it's true to that character's world, and it's true to yeah. he's he's following the law because it's the law, right? So it's like, oh sure, he wants a drink. But yeah, and we, that's like, not the point. Like, yeah, like I mentioned bad guys aren't bad all the time, but Untouchables, right. Elliot Ness is not a good guy all right. the time. He's in, he's he's got some definitely deep flaws. Completely, completely. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, a, a great villain is a great villain. I mean, we're in this room surrounded by beautiful comic books, and you know, like take a Magneto. I mean, whatever any yeah. any any villain uh, that's well written is gonna be is gonna make for a good story. And I think, like Magneto, he's not a bad guy. Time, but you understand him. You understand him. Yeah, that's so. It's even though you so don't agree with his actions, but you know where he's coming from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you potentially write protagonist first or antagonist, or is that kind of a discipline? Usually, that you just let the story figure it out. Or it's usually the story. And um, I really now that we're talking about it, I I tend to not write an, uh, antagonists. Uh, I think most of the the work I've done, it's the protagonist trying to get out of their own way. Or it's the protagonist yeah. trying to learn something that will make them a better person. You know, so it's usually like a, a, a smaller story where they've got a flaw and they've got to figure it out and they're their own, you know, worst, worst enemy. You're right. It, it, it has to be kind of a, like a little slip. Of, a little slip can really develop your character. Like mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, he has enough of it where he's just going to blow it up, right? He has that, right. And then they talk, the bad guys talk him out of it. Right, completely. Which is kind of like the good guy's going to blow it up, but the bad guys talk him out of it. Yeah. Right, we'll, let's continue on. Or like Sam Spade and Maltese Falcon, where eventually he gets the the, the thing and he totally. I got we got it. We got totally. It. You know, finally got yeah. yeah totally totally. Or even like a relationship drama, or even a comedy where it's like, you know, it's. I mean, you and I were just talking about girls talk or sorry, girls trip girls <laughs> before trip, we started yeah. recording, which is a delightful, funny movie. And you know, it's like oh, the, the, this group of friends needs to come together. You know, there's no and uh, yeah yeah. What why are they together? Right. And, and what, if it's a friend group that's drifted apart, what has, what's the cause of that and how do they fix it? Like, you know, as a storyteller, I'm, I'm really interested in the way that stories change people. And I think like, if it's an internal struggle, I just happen to find that more interesting than, you know, like a big bad person. One of the challenges when I wrote my, my Greenway script is I wanted the good guys to be far more gaudy with their 
way they're doing it. And the bad guy mm-hmm. is a little more polite, a little more polite, like the bad guy's a little mm-hmm. more polite. They're not just going to be brutish and bullying. Mm-hmm. But actually, let's see if the good guy, if we can enjoy the protagonist yeah. doing stuff what bad guys kind of do. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's interesting. Totally. Yeah, so it's it's hard. I like the challenge. Yeah, totally. I don't know if it actually played out, but I like the challenge. Maybe the good guys aren't going to be doing right. All these, you know, they're right. everybody skirt the rules. And totally. Everything. Well, you always, I mean, the other thing I think you want to do is surprise the audience. So it, whether it's taking a trope and turning it around or presenting a new kind of character that we've not seen on film before or any any twist in the story, I think the audience enjoys that. I think the audience enjoys like kind of the pleasure of being tricked or, or not be sorry not being tricked but like discovering something new i think is right. is a fun feeling so when you're writing and creating something i think keep, keeping the audience experience in mind and like okay we got a hero this is her situation how can we make this interesting how can we make her choices interesting i think that's like the fun of it and the challenge so uh, you know when i write and i always wrote my in- index card what is something new that mm-hmm. i'm putting in there if right, it's something that some people seen before. It's, mm-hmm. You're always gonna have something seen before, but I want to make sure I'm conscious of what is new, right? And what is something that we all seen before, where we can carry totally, on. totally. Like Indiana Jones, that's Tony the Pirate serials from the 30s, but right? Let's bring some little text, bring something new to it, and obviously for the the audience of the 80s, probably not very familiar with 30s serials, so you know you're doing basically like a remix for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, with the writing, are you conscious of the comedy? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. I, I I think half of the stuff I've done hopefully is a comedy. It's intended <laughs> to be a comedy. And then the other half is kind of uh, contemplative drama. And I've learned over the years that I need to keep the two separate. Like they, anything I write will always have hopefully a little comedy to it and a little dramatic undertone. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, comedy is, is great. It is. So when it's done well, it is such a, such a delight. It's, it's, I think it's something I've had this conversation before, and I've, I think if you listened before, but I think every story needs something where somebody can laugh at. Oh, it. definitely, definitely, you do. It, I mean, just for the like the release of tension for the audience, but it's also if you're presenting a character as a three dimensional person, they're gonna, you know, you want to have the palette of emotions. You know, and uh, in high school, I took photography, and I think about this all the time. That my teacher was talking about black and white photos and how you want to make sure you get like you know seven or eight different gray tones like yeah. any and, and this is just his take on it and i'm sure there's people listening maybe who are like no you don't you don't need that many or whatever but i think about that all the time that like when you're depicting a character you want to show them at their happiest you want to show them at their saddest you want to show them at their more more frustrated so and also like a moment of happiness and joy and laughing so comedy is going to be a part of it just to present a detailed person oh i like that you brought it up because i was just watching the documentary on spielberg and mm. you know he, he's very much a director but he doesn't really he li- the dps about the lighting right but with schindler's list he was very adamant about lighting with um oscar schindler that in the beginning it's mm-hmm. gonna be very harsh to him mm. and then by the end it is soft lighting because that presents what his character is going through oh interesting and he was very brutish and i was like yeah. oh my god i have to watch this again that is really cool and it's it's, it's very psych you don't it's something in your subconscious your subconscious mm-hmm. knows but you're like not aware but like, yeah yeah the, of the movie, it's all very harsh and then the interesting end the whole when he's when his soul becomes enlightened hmm. it's all soft lighting interesting yeah. god, i love that that is so cool we just critique casablanca for my oh nice channel, and that's that's the lighting trick of all the men have harsh lighting on them Ingrid, right. When Ingrid, you see her, it's all soft. It is very soft. Yeah, that's a good and call. I, 
like I, I think they have two lights, just for one light on each eye. Right. Just so oh, all... totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, she definitely. Yeah, her eyes kind of glow in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've probably seen Casablanca twenty times, thirty times. I mean, it's such a good movie. How it's... do they film the rain dropping on the water, just enough so you can read it? Oh, good but call. It's dripping. I, I don't know. That is a mass. That CGI, that's... I assume. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it had to be like multiple takes of just yeah. hanging out and then let raindrops fall on Right. It and just make sure you everybody could read it at the... Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, you know, it's all so DIY, I'm sure, on some level. And I mean, that's the exciting thing about filmmaking is <laughs> like seeing how other people pulled it off. And then, you know, anything from Star Wars to, as you just mentioned, you know, f- films in the 40s, just like... You know, like I'm, I'm always aware of whenever I'm watching something that like just out of frame, there's 50 people, <laughs> you know, and there's like there's catering and there's like a copy of the script. And there's, you know, depending on when it was filmed, there's a cigarette tray, you know, there's like all this stuff. And it's we're just seeing the one piece of that experience. I did. I get a kick out of what, uh, what's it? Uh, Caratino's latest movie that Once Upon a Time mm. in Hollywood and then Leonardo has his breakdown in the trailer mm-hmm. but you, we kind of know that you just cut out the trailer put the oh, camera yeah. and you just completely there's 500 people watching him having completely a I know makes it even more funny that you know that it, totally <laughs> totally and that trailer is so cool looking like all that teak wood and yeah. I mean I, I my reaction during that scene was like don't mess up that trailer that is a beautiful <laughs> a beautiful well, place intentionally did, right, oh did, yeah no yeah. totally but in like in in the world of the movie it's like hey man be be cool with that amazing trailer you have you are lucky enough to inhabit that's why i got a little chuckle when i saw it because i was like this is a tarantino movie and that's really too pretty it's mm-hmm. gonna get you know, oh i know i know the, completely <laughs> well any yeah any quiet moment in a tarantino film you're like just waiting for it to yeah, not cool. go great well that's another writing point because I think, especially with writing and you want to movies, we have this perception it has to be loud, it has to be boisterous. Mm-hmm. But I think um, silence can be far more violent, definitely, than anything else. Uh, definitely, definitely. And I'm I'm most interested in conversation between characters and how relationships change. So if it's a quiet moment and they're having a conversation, uh, it's that to me is is also very interesting story wise. It was a very good movie. Uh, came out a couple of years ago, Lady Macbeth, um, hmm. where she was in a force. She's in a forced marriage. This has nothing to do with the play, but hmm. it's, that's the contents of that character in Macbeth of Lady Macbeth, yeah. manipulating everybody. Interesting. Um, and then the movie Lady Macbeth, she's in a it's in like a colonial environment, if I remember right. But she's using silence as a torturing device in this colonial ah. war where she doesn't talk to anybody. Interesting. Um, she doesn't move, but the noise, but the silence is what's mm-hmm. the violent thing that she, it's her tool to get yeah. back at you. That is so interesting. I, what a, what a writing challenge that would be to write a movie that takes place in like a silence retreat. Yeah. It's not hmm. a silent movie. I don't want to just, Oh no, totally, totally. I'm just, but on, on the subject of like using silence in a, in a film and, uh, having characters not speaking. Yeah, that's really curious. That's why I, I don't, I, everybody discredits Castaway, but that's a challenge in itself. Because oh, completely. Especially for sound, because mm-hmm. you have to pick out what sound we're going to enhance. Right. And a lot of people don't appreciate it because they don't. It's not a big explosion, and everything. Mm-hmm. But how about the drop in the water that yeah. resonates, and you, everybody can hear it hundreds of miles. But it's mm-hmm. it shows you the isolation, loneliness. It's, completely, completely. And I, I bet it was a huge writing challenge to figure out how to switch it up, knowing you just have essentially one location, one actor, and a ball. Uh, 
and you know it's a, a beautiful tropical location but like yeah mixing it up so that it remains interesting i mean that's that's great work and so that's a lot of I think that's a challenge for a lot of people, especially American audiences. It's not going to be a loud film. Well, I'm mm-hmm. not interested. Well, not everything has to be. The second act doesn't have to be filled with explosions right. to keep you going. Totally, totally. Uh, so are you comfortable with dialogue? Or I am. I am. Yeah, I, I really enjoy writing it. I it's part of It's one of my favorite things about filmmaking is doing the dialogue. And it comes really late in the process for me. I usually... Like we talked about, I spent a lot of time outlining and also building the relationships. Uh, and so that when it's time to write the dialogue, which is like late in the process, then I know I pretty much know what they would say. And then it's just kind of like setting them on the on the game board and then having the pieces like it's kind of is like a puzzle. isn't it? It's totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I I've got this. I mean, I've got this very nerdy thing that I do where I take a, an Excel spreadsheet and I list out the main characters and I describe their like their mood, uh, their goals, their history, their temperament. And then I make sure hopefully that I'm they're all different from one another. And then if if I've got a scene between two characters, when it's time to write the dialogue, I write out the the agenda of both people. So, you know, let's say you've got a mother daughter they're having this kind of conflict. This is what the mother wants. This is what the daughter wants. And hopefully what they want is in direct opposition to the other. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like math, I guess. It's another writing tip I learned from my buddy Kurt Vonnegut is mm. make sure your characters want something right away. I don't yes. care if it's a glass of water. I don't care what. But make sure your characters Completely. want something. Completely. Yeah. They want something. And uh, if they're in a scene, they better want something. You can't just have someone who's just there. Yeah. I've but, seen that too many times in a Brian De Palma film. They're mm, just there. Right. <laughs> but I love Brian De Palma. But then, yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it is. It's challenging. You designing a scene like that or a character like that so that everyone has something interesting to do. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. It's one of those one challenges. Of the, well, we brought up Untouchables, but I think one of the masters of that is David David Mamet. Mm-hmm. Fill up a room and every character has their own destination. Absolutely. And he's very much he's not very loud with his dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it's very like reserved because it's almost like they're not. Everybody's holding their cards when you watch a right. David Mamet film. They're not even completely when talking like I know completely. And I I love I love characters who have a rich inner life. Uh, yeah, I mean one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, Lynn Shelton, who who passed away last year, which is a a tragic loss. But she wrote such interesting people that were so I don't know very naturalistic. And um, yeah. even if so, even if a character doesn't express their want directly on the surface knowing that that want is there and that they're kind of like boiling under their skin uh i find that very compelling and and i, I appreciate it because you, there's always a, not just the ultimate goal but there's something else maybe they just want to be left alone mm-hmm. <laughs> or right. there's a reluctance i don't want to be the hero and i gotta force oh totally to uh, yeah, absolutely and there's such a tradition in storytelling of that kind of hero from humphrey bogart in casablanca uh you know, to your Han Solos, to, I mean, so many superhero movies include a hero or a heroine that they don't want to get involved and then they have to. And then, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that whole theory of the reluctant hero mm-hmm. is always something that's it's almost like, well, it's like Lawrence Arabia. He doesn't want he knows he's good and doesn't yeah. want to be good. Right. And, and he's losing his identity. And actually, that's a sweeping story because mm-hmm. here he is. He's 
working for Britain, but all of a sudden he loses his whole Britishness. He becomes also yeah. has a different outfit and hmm. changes who he is. Yeah, I'm so embarrassed. I've never I've never seen that film, <laughs> but I know it's like you we one of those quiet. <laughs> no, I bet, I bet, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I and Spielberg shouts out to that as one of his like the reason why he became a filmmaker. I think. Is it that or Bridge mm-hmm. Over River Kwai? I can't remember which of the two. It's that movie. Uh, okay. Arabia. Gotcha. Which, yeah. Now I, we've done movies, which you watch the camels riding the sand. You're like, that's got, is that take two? Mm-hmm. What, did you rake the whole sand just to make sure they, they're they only? Oh, that's footprint? wild. <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. Or the yeah. mile shot of the camel coming into view and you sit mm-hmm. and watch it like it almost looks like water. Oh, that's so cool. But. Yeah, the tediousness of that movie from David Lee. Yeah, I've got to I've got to add it to my list. I mean, it's on the list, but yeah, it's funny because it's an epic movie, but it's mm-hmm. simply just one guy's story of identity, right? right. Looking for his authentic self. Hmm. So yeah, is that something? I mean, because we've talked about it, like you know, your self discovery, but I think mm-hmm. all stories are about a character's yeah, definitely to their authentic selves. It definitely, definitely. I mean, if uh, a, a movie should teach you something about the world through teaching you about something about this character. So, you know, a character is going to be really specific, but also kind of universal, hopefully. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I love, I love that about films. And, you know, like I didn't like Roger Ebert say that it's like the most empathetic art form. I, I'm completely misquoting him, but it is really just designed for you to kind of experience the world through another person's eyes and then, or through their being. And then hopefully, you know, not to be too idealistic about it, but hopefully learn something about the world for yourself. But it's always that. And then a little bit of the voyeurism. Sometimes you get in mm-hmm. an Alfred Hitchcock movie of something. We're not supposed to be seeing this, but I'm not going to stop watching. Right. Completely. Well, there's, yeah, I think there's also the, um, you know, people, uh, people use narratives to kind of mitigate uncertainty. Right. So like, yeah, yeah. which is why I think horror remains a very popular genre. And, uh, you know, people just want to experience something at arm's length for a little bit and then and then move on. Right. Yeah. But yeah. but that's the same way with other genres, too. I think like horror is just like the most obvious one because it's like life and death. But then even a romantic comedy is in its own way horror. It's like navigating the uncertainty of romance in a controlled way. My Fair Lady could be a horror movie. Oh yeah, Pygmalion. I think no, it totally. Right. It was Pygmalion. I think is based on. It's supposed to be. A That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my fair lady is a. Um, I think I watched that movie years ago, and I fell asleep twice. <laughs> and I both times I woke up and I was like, "Is this movie still going it's on?" Still going, right? I mean, I'm sure it's a great movie, and at some point I'll watch the four or five hours that I missed. Um, but yeah, I just I'll always remember that as the only movie I've fallen asleep to twice. Just not. <laughs> Not polite on my there, part. The challenge accepted of trying not to fall asleep for Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. So, again, it, it fits in it like, it, it, the horror movies are something like the explanation I have is, because I like hockey, that people, well, there's too much fighting in hockey. Mm-hmm. Nobody's getting up to go to get a pop when the fighting is breaking out. Right, even right, though right. Nobody, stop, nobody flips the channel when the right. fight breaks out, even though you complain about hockey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost that sense of element that people, what they complain about, they're kind of still going to watch. Right. Well, you know, I I think there's a reason why so many movies are about unpleasant things happening, you know, like a fight or whatever, or, you know, like action movies. Yeah. People, people just want to get a taste of what that's like and then, and then move on from it. Which is, before we get to my break, I always like, because I have a lot of friends who, oh, I like those fight movies. And Mm -hmm. and then it's like, well, that's a dance. Right. It it is a dance. Completely, completely. It's 
I do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. What do you think Star Wars is? It's a right. elegant dance, but we just have swords. Completely. So I don't understand why you like the fight movies, but you're not going to watch Gene Kelly. Right. Almost the same thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a good point. I mean, dance itself is so cool and interesting. And uh, I would love it if dance came back to movies more. It's so it's such it's such an art form that like I we've been watching um, a lot of older kind of cult films and we watched Xanadu, uh, which the music is by ELO um, came out in the late 70s. It's like a cult film that a lot of people just consider a horrible movie, but it's like fascinating. And Gene Kelly is in it and he's dancing. And it's it's one of those. It's so cool. You got horrible reviews mm -hmm. but i think people were anticipating something that they weren't they, they got right. something that they weren't th right they got but yeah what i mean it, it's also it's also one of those movies that they clearly didn't know how to end it so they're like let's just play some music and have people dance and then <laughs> and then we'll roll credits and it'll be fine and turns out it is but yeah. it, it, i i recommend you have to see it it's mm -hmm. one of those movies that it's not the greatest thing in the world no it's no those, it's a fun journey to and watch. the music i mean elo is just one of those bands that are just so fun. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever in town here, there's a cover band called EL No. And they've been <laughs> playing. It's so that. good. They've been playing for a long time. And we finally saw them a couple of years ago, back when people could hang out in a bar together. RIP. And uh, yeah, I just, anyway, I, for any Minnesota listeners, if you see EL No is on a calendar performing sometime, hopefully in the near future, it's a blast. It's what um, we regard Spielberg in his early career was as empty escapism. There's mm. just that fun of just have just get on the roller coaster and just enjoy. Completely, it. completely. All right, we're gonna take a little break uh, and uh, important message, and we'll get back and we'll talk narratives with Peter. Get ready for the new sitcom Falls a Crown. Everything was coming up roses for Bradley and Cameron until I could just lie here with you forever. I think we should see other people. And as if that wasn't tragic enough, the rent is going up higher than annual passes at Disney World. But they have a plan: turning this place into a brothel. We get a roommate. Enter Allison and Dylan. Like your endless sexual escapades. Whole new men into home office. Join these thirty-somethings as they face the challenges of balancing careers and dating after 29. Coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Back with Peter. Um, what's a little bit of? Uh, are you comfortable with the writing of incorporating narratives? I know you would. I don't. It's it's a challenge yeah. for me because I don't know if we want to go inside somebody's mind. Right. Yeah. How do you? What? How do you approach the narratives? Uh. You. Yeah. You mean just like um with the, your, the internal life of the character or yeah, like what happens to them like or their inner dialogue being played out? Yeah. Inner dialogue. Uh, hopefully in a film it's i think it's all about what the character does and what they say you know so it's like hopefully they're doing interesting choices that we can see yeah um yeah and i you know i just wrapped uh or i co-wrote a film that wrapped this past fall that it's a family drama that it's a feature film that um that was a very like quiet personal story about characters coming together and having yeah. these these pasts that haunt them and look, you know, the challenge for that piece was how do you externalize this very internal story? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the goal is to 
make peace with the past. So how do you, how can you actually show that like step by step? Without doing like flashbacks. Right. Without, yeah, with like no flashbacks are just minimal, you know, maybe just like a, a, a music cue or, you know, like a little bit of like imagined dialogue. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's just another one of the challenges of writing is how do you externalize that stuff in an interesting way? Right. Yeah. And especially it's, especially when you do a narrative, it's okay. We're going to go with that kind of a thing. Cause it's almost like a genre in itself. Sure. Like definitely. Definitely. Dialogue. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I still, it's a challenge for me. I don't, I don't know if I'm ever would come to terms of actually just having the inner narrative dialogue mm-hmm. or someone, maybe like, well, I'll do like our, our town. We just have the narrative. As oh, a sure. By itself. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. Okay. We're going on to this scene. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of the freedom of uh, a staged work is I think you can be a little looser with having a monologue or, you know, having someone like classic, like Shakespeare style, stepping out of a scene and just kind of talking about what's going on and then going back into it. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, these are all part of the challenge and part of the joy of, of filmmaking is, is figuring out how to do that, like in a, in a entertaining way, hopefully. You ever want to do a novel? I, you know, I, I tried it at one point and it was really fun. And I think I do have a novel or two in me, but, uh, I, I enjoy the collaboration of filmmaking so much that uh, I think you probably lose that a little bit. Yeah. Just writing fiction. But I love novels. I try to read as many as I can. And someday I would love to write one. But but for now, I, I feel a little more just the energy of, of filmmaking. I We had a previous guest on. And I, I don't want to, if you, you find it in our catalog, but I asked that question. And, and the person's like, I just, I don't want to describe trees. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. I like doing movie scripts. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can describe a tree in a beautiful way that that no one has really done before, then I mean that's pretty exciting, too. Speaking of trees, just popped my brain. I just rewatched 1917. Oh my god! Yeah, and I caught it when the first time screening. But trees are an essential point of a metaphor in that movie. Mm-hmm. If you watch, because living trees is when the British are around, the trees are alive. They actually use it for protection. And hmm. actually, remember when they go to the cherry trees? They actually right. delicate and nice to it. Oh, that's right, that's right. The, yeah. When the Germans, they, they maul them and like they mm-hmm. use them to build dams. They use it to interesting chop brigade. So it's almost like it's dead to them. Yeah. And kind of like almost in favor of Britain. Right. In Germany, it's all interesting industry and. That sounds yeah, very. Fine, that know. sounds very Lord of the Rings to me. Like yeah, that's what I was. I was yeah, the but like. Talked to my brain. He goes, "This is yeah. very Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. The bad guys are very industrial. Yeah, they don't care. The land and everything. Don't care. Right. Interesting. I yeah. That's a nineteen seventeen is an amazing technical piece. I think we. I saw in the theater like when it was playing. Uh, I should probably watch it again. I remember being very impressed, but very stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's visual media. Mm-hmm. All heartily. It's not a lot of dialogue. Right. Right. It's just people running and making choices. Right. And yeah. Especially when he's like, well, you're going to go after your brother. Then it starts. The music. Boom. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then that action is just going to get, get, get bombarded. Just right. like war. There's yeah. Quiet. And then the mission starts. And no, definitely. Amplified. I yeah. do remember like a third of the way through that movie and horrible things have happened and just being like, oh, man, it's just going to get worse. You know, like we're not even at the climax yet. And this horrible thing has happened. Like I think I need to go get popcorn because I can't I can't handle it. But, Would you be? I mean, that's an epic piece. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're going to want? You're interested in doing like an epic? I I think it'd be really fun to help someone get one set up. I think I you know I would love to help someone like outline it and just kind of get it going. But uh, I, I, that's not really my genre of choice per se. 
Yeah. Like I enjoy, you know, that's something uh, that I think like as a creator, you figure out at some point of like, there's definitely some stuff that I love to watch and experience, but I don't feel a need to be a creator of that. You know, like right. what are the things that I want to create and like, what is my voice and my story? Right. Uh, well, yeah, I've always talked about it, especially when I was helping out people. I was like, well, get your style. First. Right. Right. You know, you would be talking about all the academic stuff of writing and all the tips, but really sit down and figure mm-hmm. out what your style is. Right. Obviously, Terratuna has a style. Right. And no, he's the only one who can get away with it. You know, mm-hmm. non hours of nonsense dialogue that like, completely, completely. That and any other director, like we got to cut this. Right. But he can get away with it. So, Absolutely. Yeah, work on your style. What do you? What? Right. Flows for you. Work on your style and figure out why are you the one person who can tell this kind of story. Like I think, I think that's really important for someone who's just starting out. And you know, I, maybe this is turning into like a writing advice podcast, uh, which <laughs> I could sometimes it's like writing; it just yeah, organically starts going. Right? Yeah, totally, totally. But it's like you know, a hundred people exist who can make this kind of movie. What's the movie you can make, and no one else can make that movie? And I I get really excited when I see something that is so original and can only be could have come from that one voice. Uh, and then at the same time, I get like a little frustrated when I see a movie and it's like, oh, like I've seen this movie five times already. I've like and I, I know what these beats are in this story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the first, you know, like is it like the 10,000 hours thing of like getting good at something before you're like ready for it. Like mm-hmm. I think learning who you are as a filmmaker or a storyteller, that's 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 part of that work for sure. Well, um, I used to be a, a football referee mm. for 20 years. And my mentor is like, just ref 50 games before you judge yourself. You're going to mm-hmm. be horrible at it. People are going to scream, but just do 50. Yeah. And then we'll talk and we'll analyze. That sounds right. And it took about maybe three years till I got to my rhythms. It's just almost mm-hmm. like acting. You got your rhythm. You got your pace. You got totally. your mannerisms. And how yeah. You, your style, how to mm-hmm. have the game. Everybody's got their own different yeah. style. You're building an instinct. Basically, yeah. I learned how to play drums. It took me three years to kind of mm. figure out how to play Ooh. drums because it's... You have to yeah. Figure out your style. I'm not a I'm not a fancy drummer. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much like Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. Oh sure. It's gonna be. He did okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll do the I'll keep the beats. I'll keep the rhythm. Not sure. Too fancy. I'll make you guys. You can do all the clown stuff. In front yeah. Of yeah. Me. Totally. Totally. I'm just I'm gonna just remain steady. That's really cool. Well, you you um your latest movie, Miss uh, Miss The Misanthrope. Thank you. I, I have a yeah. tough time. Misanthrope. Yeah. And our previous guest, Jason Schumacher, yeah. directed it. Um, if great. If you want to go back in our catalog, he actually guest hosted an episode. Oh, that's great. He I haven't heard about, that one. Yeah, he talked about his famous road movie. So if you want to oh, stop nice. and go back, I will uh, totally. Jason guest hosted with a couple yeah. of his friends on nice. road movies, but he directed this yes. movie, Misanthrope. Yeah, he he's a great guy. I really appreciate him as a filmmaker and a friend and uh we're we're currently both kind of working on a, our own features at the moment, so we're trading pages. He's, you know, on on my list of people that I uh, that I seek uh, advice from. And yeah, the Misanthrope was a really fun fun project. You know, it was it started as a Z Fest uh, last year, so we filmed it a little over a year ago. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen it three times, but you can tell. Oh, thank you. you guys had a ball. It was really fun. Thank you, thank you. Uh, some, really, some things you just can't hide, but it is kind of no. It was tell. it yeah. was it was a blast, and we we had a lot of laughs between takes and. It was a, a great experience overall, and um, yeah, I really, I really like that film. Um, yeah, Jason and I talked about it kind of early in the process, and we figured out that it would make the most sense for me to write and produce it, and he would direct it, and I think he just nailed it. It's so, it's so much fun, I think. Um, and like, you know, t- uh, Tim Schrader was our DP, and like, just oh, yeah. 
a lot of a lot of people in town who are just so talented and work so hard and it's great and i that's that's a project that like at some point i would love to do a feature version of it and i've like as the short has kind of made some of the rounds uh there's i've gotten some interest from different people and you know possibly funding or helping out or um we'll see where it goes but i i really enjoyed working on that and you never know you know what what something can become what did you um when you collaborated did you do storyboards for that uh i believe i believe jason did did storyboards yeah i think he storyboarded it out with with tim and then it's, I know for you know because Jason directed mm-hmm. and you written is it still still kind of were you on set? I was yeah totally I was on set and um, we shot for was it two nights? Deeply cold so it was like here in the here in Minnesota it was about a year ago so it was another like negative. And I just remember, you know, like emailing the whole crew, like the steps are very slippery into the house. Like, be careful. And just, <laughs> but I just messaged you when you got me. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Very, yeah, totally. Yeah, be careful. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. for listeners outside of Minnesota. That's part of living here is emailing uh, colleagues to tell, to tell them that the steps are icy. When you, uh, especially when you're carrying 50 pound equipment. No, totally. Totally. Bringing your wardrobe. Yeah. Box and everything. Uh, totally. But uh, but yeah, that was a great experience, and we we just screened it again for a special uh, Twin Cities screening uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So it was really fun to like show it to people again and get feedback and you know questions and everything. And um, you know it's funny like this time a year ago, the conversations I was having with Jason were about like okay if we were to do this as a feature, how would that work? Where would we shoot it? Who would be involved? How do we do that? And then you know like two other projects I had kind of in pre production a year ago like everything everything got paused for an indefinite amount of time so it's yeah so it's it's a a story that you guys want to go back to kind of thing definitely yeah definitely and the you know the guts of it are it's based on a classic french play and i i think that the point that the play is trying to make is a really compelling one that can be told that i hopefully in an entertaining way you know now Um, i I liked how you written it that the theme is very obvious but it's mm. not overhanded thank you thank you and it's tough to do especially when you you know Zack snyder loves to hit you over the head with themes. yeah he does yeah. but yeah it, it's played out just kind of like a slight little hand yeah thank you thank you i i hope yeah getting figuring out how much info to give the audience is is another challenge and uh it's yeah i mean it's th- that one was so fun in that um there's a couple actors who i had worked with before and a couple actors who i hadn't and everybody I thought did great and they were able to bring that like, I mean, it's comedic and it's a little silly, but there are some subtleties there. Yeah. And, you know, so keeping it a little mysterious, keeping the twist and then having their reactions be like a mix of natural and then also like caricature, you know, like trying to find that that balance was was one of the challenges. Right. And especially when I, I write for, for, for movies, I'm always kind of like, is this comic booky? I don't mm-hmm. want to be overly comic booky. Right. Right. It's, right. It's something that you don't want to. Well, yeah. And then you're like, well, my style. I don't want to lose my style. But right. Like- <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, it's also if if the tone of it is like a heightened universe, yeah. then you can get away with a lot. Like if it's if it's a world in which this is a potential thing, then, you know, like if. um yeah, if it's like a comedy, like last night I just watched uh, Bar and Star or Barb and Star go to uh, Vista Del Mar, the new uh, Kirsten Wig Annie Mumolo film, and we were just talking about it earlier. But yeah, like, yeah. that's a movie where it's like it's so funny and it's so absurd, and like, but I'm just watching for ways that they're breaking reality. Like, is there an animal who talks, or is there like an aside to the camera? You know, just like these cues that are like, what level of reality are we looking at here? Yeah. Uh, 
and that's one of the things I think you do when you set a movie, when you're writing, what is, what kind of reality are we showing? Is it hundred percent, this is realistic or is it tweaked or is it completely absurd? Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, another fun thing to kind of think about. It's hard for me because I always try to like base mine in reality, but then you have mm-hmm. that other thing in your mind is like, it's not real. Have right. fun with it. If right. you want to just have bloated exposition, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people do. Totally. Um, my favorite movie, Network. Pretty much oh all my the God. dialogue is 100% exposition. Right. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, that movie is so good. Yeah. Uh, we always mention that as a drop because I always one of my little things I like to do as a writer watching other movies is to is there a conscientious character I talked about it on our YouTube channel mm-hmm. and Network has a conscientious character somebody that knows he's in the story that right. Schumacher knows he's yeah in the story. totally Even totally in the point where he calls out Diane my God you're supposed to be this I'm supposed right. to be this don't, yeah don't stick to your, oh, your it's lane. so smart it's so smart yeah it's so self aware and. You know, I'm sure everybody says this, but like for, that movie is was so ahead of its time. Uh, but I love that. Yeah, like the first scene is it William Holden and Faye Dunaway when they're like when they're having like yeah, their Max Schumacher and Diane. yeah, that's yeah. it, that's yeah. it, totally. And yeah, and they're just both very aware of who what they are supposed to say, yeah. which is really the, the, really cool. Whole relationship is a metaphor of old TV trying mm-hmm. to get together with new TV. It's totally, going to work. Yeah, yeah and it, and the fact that it's William Holden from mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard and other classic films. Having a having a meta conversation about media, it's like gold. I love that movie. I just love the writing of it mm-hmm. because it start it starts with you know Max Schumacher talk about that he's going to go on location to somewhere and the guy thought he was going to jump off the bridge and commit suicide mm-hmm. and that's the start of the whole movie. Right. Of Peter Finch. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to be on television anymore. Yeah. This whole journey of I want to die on television either by the mm. network's hand or my own hand, but mm-hmm. somehow we're going to get to the, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's. It's hard, and it's especially with all the dialogues exposition. That's that's clever. It completely. You don't even. You don't even. You're not going to complain about it. Right. Right. And that's yeah. I mean, that's part of like finding your voice and getting to a point in your career when you can be that bold. You know, like people trust you just to like go for it. Right. Yeah. I think it's very. I don't have any like a ways in my. Oh writing. sure. But is that something that I don't? Are you aware of? Like maybe we should have like. A, I am. Yeah. I. I I definitely I love a good I love a good soliloquy and just like people people having that moment and slowing it down but I I think you know you have to be really careful not to load it up too much like it's it's almost like the rhythm of the scene you know it's like quick line quick line quick line longer line quick line quick line longer you know like mix it up in any kind of writing mixing up the tempo is is really important uh but it's really tempting kind of in a theater theatrical way of like I just want to write a monologue and have them say how they feel and explore it and then come to a realization and then next scene but you can't you can't be that uh that open you know you can't have a character just talking for three minutes like i just did (laughs) (laughs) when you're in the process of writing do you still watch other resources or you kind of tune that out because i know a lot of people are like oh you should not watch other things as you're writing because that's going to drip into right yeah yeah i i I tend to yeah i do kind of hunker down and i okay um, i mean i'm uh, try to watch a, a movie or two every week uh but if i'm in the middle of like a, a project and i'm really in that headspace that i try to like maintain that and not not get too distracted yeah it's hard because I, I i know a lot of people i still consume a lot of movies mm-hmm. it's hard like i should really just get back to writing but right it's like that I right want to break that habit. i know and if you i think one of the traps is if you if you know you need to write something or you've set a deadline for yourself or you're writing for someone else 
the temptation is like, well, if I just watch this movie, it's like research. So that's technically I'm being productive. And it's like, you know, hurting yourself back to the task at hand is, you know, any creative. That's that's part of it, too. One of my favorite directors is uh, Sam Fuller. Mm. Uh, he did a lot of the grungy, very in the 50s, 60s. He worked for MGM, but it was very mm. cheap. And Tarantino was one of his influences. If you like Tarantino movies, you love Sam Fuller mm. movies. But Sam always, when he wrote, he wrote for Pulp. Uh, he got, he was actually a journalist yeah. before he was a director, so he did oh. a lot of journalism writing, and he knew uh, the navigate how to write. But hmm. he always said, if you could write, eyes and eyes is the toughest, and this the best. Hmm. He thought it was the pinnacle of every story was to get eyes on eyes, hmm. and he tried it every time to do that as a challenge because it's the most yeah. opening up as well as the most conniving. So is to get eyes on eyes, two different characters looking. Oh, at I see. Them. So so basically, like. Two different characters looking at two different each other. characters looking at each other and then like being honest, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Where it can be threatening or romantic, right. but writing eyes on eyes was always he's like, that's the toughest thing you could do. Yeah. The biggest payoff. If right. Totally. It. Totally. Yeah. Good call. So I'm, when I watch Sam now, I was like, oh, my gosh, can I do that? Mm-hmm. He did a movie come uh, Jesse James shot by the cowardly. Uh, oh, sure. Robert something. Yeah. The beginning of the movie is the bank robbing, which the beginning of the movie is just you look at the bank robber's eyes hmm. and the bank teller's eyes. Bank te- you hear the uh, noises going on. Tension. But then he winds the camera and then you see the bad guy has the gun on the other guy. But the hmm. first couple minutes you just see the eyes of oh, cool. the characters and you know there's wow. tension there. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, now this makes up this makes sense but the bad guy's zoning yeah. in on you. Hmm. So That's really cool. It's one of those techniques that you figure out what's in the frame, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's so many there's so many little tricks. It's it's fascinating. Uh Right. Yeah, it's like, why we love movies, right? It's like, yeah, all these little things you can do. Right. Especially if you write, well, it has to be the action's going to bleed outside. Well, you want the camera to move, mm-hmm. slow. You want to be up. You want to be right. down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Motivated, motivated camera movement is its own art form, you put that for in sure. Your scripts, the cameras, or you let uh, the director kind of. I tend, yeah, it depends. Uh, I try to highlight what's important that's going on. Never with camera direction, but more just like, you know, she sits down, she opens her her satchel, she places an object on the table. We see the laptop. You know, if it's like, what is the important thing? So just making sure that in the script it's Where's up. Chekhov's gun, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like calling attention to something with spacing or with capitalization. So it's like, okay, when this is directed, it's obvious that there's going to be a close-up here. But I, I tend not to say like close up on hand or close up on, you know, but it's also I mean, I've, I've directed a few things and that's a slightly different process uh, in that, you know, I, I kind of know what we're going to focus on. So then it's then I don't pay as much attention to calling that stuff out. There's two different, uh, especially when you do a comic book hmm. um, screen, uh, a script. You can't do it like a movie because each panel has to be different. Right. And you can't just like a movie. You want to have like, okay, such and such speaks and you want to put the camera to the such and such speaks. So, you know, where right. environment. you can't really do that with a comic book because then you're like, okay, you have to draw exactly. Right. So you can't really mimic. So you have to yeah. figure out how you keep it entertained because you could do the same scene. Right. Overhead down below. Right. And keep that. And then you've also got like splash pages and like more of a landscape layout for the frame, right? Like that's yeah. one of the tools of a of a graphic novelist. And you want to keep some kind of object 
to keep the pace going. Mm-hmm. Like I'm destroying somebody, get a, a bomb going off, mm-hmm. and the person is getting launched across the room. But I want to make sure with close up that you know it's a room, so you're having the helmet follow him. Oh, totally. So you know the where the direction is going. Right. But you want to keep the action. Yeah. Focused. And do you do when you're writing a comic book? Yeah. Do you are you aware of? Like, I imagine you're aware of like when the page turn is right. So do you like you yeah. build in like a tiny little cliffhanger moment where it's like, oh, gotta flip flip that page. Yeah, that's part of it too, right? It's another challenge because I always tell people if you're going to write different from movies from a comic book is a dialogue is at most, at most, mm-hmm. two sentences. Right. And that's tough because yeah. you, you got to get you what you want to say out. Totally. And you can have a short film that's five minutes long. You can have 30 pages of dialogue. Right. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> but of a comic book, it's not. Right. They're not re- buying it for the dialogue. Totally. At most, two sentences. Right. It has to, it's an art form by itself. What mm-hmm. are you going to say? Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, I think like Brian Michael Bendis is really good at that, or at least when I was reading books 10 or so years ago more more frequently. Like, yeah, I mean, you also like, you don't, like you physically don't have that much space, right? Because the drawing is there yes. and you can't, you can't like, because then it would become a novel that happens to have like, someone's elbow in the corner of the frame which is tough because you don't want to write the greatest catchphrase of all time mm-hmm. but it's interrupting the picture where people are right like, well i don't can't see uh, totally totally it's a great line i want to put it in there right yeah. i know well the trick there i think is like again like writing advice if you have a great line and you want to save it but you're but it's like it's time for it to go because it doesn't make sense in the scene just like copy and paste it into your dialogue document yeah and hold on to it for something else that's my my favorite is elmore leonard he would say it sounds like writing get rid of it <laughs> oh yeah good call good call yeah completely completely <laughs> if you're trying to outsmart everybody you think right. you're clever yeah then you're not really no uh, totally i there's like a comedy i wrote a little while like, like a couple of years ago and uh you know it's a script i've i'm proud of and i've sent it around and it has a joke in it that i think about a lot and then Last year, I was like, oh, this joke could be its own short film. So I've, like, written that script. And uh, you never know. You never know what, you know, hold on to everything. I mean, I guess I'm a pack rat. But, like, if you've got a good idea or it feels like a good idea, save it. Move on to what you're currently working on. And then just kind of hold on to that stuff and go back. And you never know what's going to, like, pop out. Well, this is the whole reason why I filled up the walls with comic books is, you know, if you get stuck. Mm -hmm. There's stimulation running what ideas of what you could do completely right? completely doesn't make sense to like oh we could do something like that yeah or something so i always you want to surround yourself especially mm-hmm. writers it doesn't have to be you know just like a writer's room or just a right. table and stuff but you want to have something that can totally keep it going right? yeah totally and i um this is again very nerdy but i've got like a, a folder of like science fiction illustrations on my computer that yeah. that's my wallpaper and it changes every minute so not that I just like stare at my computer if I'm blocked, like I have writer's block, but like just having the background of what you're writing on change and it's always a cool, interesting image, I think that can help too. Sci-fi is one of those that's like, it talks more about reality than reality itself, right? Oh yeah, it's totally. more about what we are now than right. what it is in the... Just I love them. science fiction. Yeah, completely. I love, I love like high science fiction and low science fiction, you know, like subtle science fiction. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's it's it should be a class by itself to just go back and watch all the '70s sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! What, it, what the word about like you know the beginning of mm-hmm. THX 1138 of right government component. Yeah, or and Logan's then all Run. Of a sudden, by the late '70s, all escapism. Right. No, I know totally. It's funny. Yeah, the evolution it's, of '70s sci-fi. Yeah, so the, I mean, totally. The like the history of the future is 
such a cool world of study where it's like, what were people worried about or officially, you know, as far as the culture was concerned, what were they worried about and how has that changed? Like, what did the future look like according to 1950s? What does the future look like according to 2010? Like, and it talks more about them now than right. the future was. Yeah, totally, totally. It's Yeah, I mean, I, a movie I love to watch is <laughs> The Net with Sandra Bullock. And oh, it's yeah. like, you know, like, how did they find your information? Like, they saw it on The Net. You know, like, just the way that that's phrased is like, oh, right, back then people considered it like TV. Like, you would see it on The Net. You know, like, I didn't read it on the internet. It just came up. I've, like, I experienced it as something I viewed on the internet because the only way we understand what the internet is is to compare it to TV. Yeah. Uh, but also just, like, the paranoia of, of yeah, it's just delightful to, to be like, oh, isn't that cute? when 1995 or whatever that that's what we thought it was going to be like i love i I should do actually just a paper on all the fears Mm -hmm. of what was played out in demolition man of oh sure you know sure if we lose all our freedoms and all Mm -hmm. it's become a little more right i mean there's yeah i mean idiocracy is an interesting film um futurama is an you know there's so much that yeah. was clever. Idiocracy was very clever. Because mm-hmm. you could Quite. tell. Well, it was overhanded, too, but it yes. needed to be, right? Yeah, yeah. They're making a point, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, because Network, that's a comedy. That's satire. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think anybody would regard it as funny. Right. But that is satirical. You know, it's I, I'm so curious. I bet when it came out, it was, it was probably more dramatic, and now we find it more funny. You know, like... Yeah. Uh, or possibly reversed. I guess I'd have to watch it again. It's been a it's been a while, I but I feel should, like I think everybody should because like Diane's speech of exploring opportunities for television. She's mm-hmm. pitching like tabloid TV reality yeah. shows, which were completely not, nothing existed like that back then. Right, twenty four hour news. Right, which we get now, and that's why no. I kind of mentioned to my buddy Kyle, who's a little younger. He was born in ninety mm-hmm. in the nineties. He's like, well, it doesn't really phase me as much. We're right, and the network is screaming, "This is what's going to happen!" Right, totally, totally. Yeah. So I guess so. The way to watch it now, or back in the day, you would watch it and you would be like, "What? That's crazy!" And now you watch it and you're like, "Yeah, that tracks. That's a, that's about right." <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's pretty awful, and it's definitely going to happen. Which doesn't really do well for Casablanca because that still holds. That's a little capsule mm-hmm. of what it was not, and it still resonates to everybody. Yeah, he can be born. Totally. Years ago, and he's still well. It's it's same feelings. Yeah, it's couched in a love story, so that's that's always going to translate. We are in Valentine's. Mm. Are you comfortable writing love? I am. Uh, (laughs) Weirdly weirdly confident saying that. No, I am. I I think it's really hard to show two people falling in love on screen, which which is why I think in a lot of movies they show the build up to them figuring out their feelings and then it cuts to them being a couple you know like exactly and uh, yeah like movies end when they acknowledge that they both love each other uh typically but yeah i i think it's great and um you know i i'm a sucker for a good love story and i think it, it makes sense why almost all movies have a love story in them somewhere you know even if it's like yeah i agree yeah, no matter what the genre, like Star Wars, like there's a love story in Star Wars. There's a love story in pretty much everything. And, you know, that's like the hook uh, to get people emotionally invested a lot of the times. I'm trying to think of a movie where it doesn't really involve any really love stories. But there are, it's a core that you have to, especially if you're a good writer, you have to think about mm-hmm. what am I writing about love? And we have every story talks about death. Am I talking about mm-hmm. death too? Right. Totally, totally. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily romantic love. It's It's often familial love or... Uh, friendship um 
but yeah, I mean, those are the things that ground us as people. And those are the things that make us, I think, interested in characters is who are the important people in their lives? How are those relationships changing? Especially when you write for like a, a love thing, you have to trust the people that are going to do it because mm-hmm. it's, it could be really, I mean, I, you can write a great love movie, but yeah. if the people do it right, it's going to. Completely. Right. And it's, it is so difficult to do it right. I, I, you know, the handful of movies that I think do it correctly are just, they're great. And you want to watch them over and over again. Yeah. I think one of the ones that could really fall on itself was Pretty Woman. Oh, sure. But Richard Gere and yeah. Drew Roberts do a fantastic job. They do. But if you, if, if the, yeah, it could have been such a B movie. Right. It could have been a little bit of play and ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, did you know actually it was supposed to be Burt Reynolds and Molly Ringwald? Woo. That would have been that, cool. That is a different movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It would have been more, I think it would yeah. have been more yeah. in the comedy shelf than. Totally. I actually, um, in college, so I studied like film and narrative theory, yeah. uh, so, and American literature, but, and I, I did a, my, like one of my thesis papers is on Pretty Woman. Really? And, yeah. And it was like my, my, the, the piece was about how, so it was like cultural critique, like semiotics and, um, like exploring like patriarchal society. So I, whatever the, in oh, the yeah, piece I was talking about, yeah, yeah bas- basically like my, my thought was the movie pres- like her profession in that film is such a threat to like patriarchy and like uh how we view like marriage and domesticity that as soon as they come together as a couple the movie has to work really hard to show them in a very traditional 1950s style marriage yeah so like as soon as they hang out they start watching old sitcoms and they like the art direction is like his world his professional world is very cold so all of the rooms are like gray and devoid of color and just like cold looking whereas like her life then maybe this is getting too granular but hey we're talking about pretty woman um her life like they minimize what her profession is by like her apartment looks very warm and cozy and almost like a college dorm room with her with like her roommate kit deluca shout out to kit deluca um and so the movie is like her profession is too dangerous. It's too offensive. We have it's to too offensive. We have to we have to tamp it down. And then you know, as soon as they're a couple, they act like uh, they're married and they've been together forever. And like all her like the potential danger of her past and her career is minimized immediately. I love that because I, I, if you watch it now, it's like because she gets help from the hotel manager. How to right. dress like a woman? Are right. you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And that that character is a base uh, a paternalistic character. That's her dad in the movie. Yeah. You know, is like helping her helping her to grow up. And I, I, I love Science of the Lambs, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. But you realize how she's fighting a patriarchal society, Claire Reese, the yes. entire time. Totally. In fact, she's being played by the feds and the bad guys. Right. She's also. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's also a coming of age story for her, where she's learning to have agency yeah. in amidst all this chaos. But it's played so subtly, right? Of her trying to just, right. I just want to be an agent, and how mm-hmm. she gets picked on even at FBI camp, right? Where it's like, okay, two guys enter the, they're doing the training, and two guys enter the room, but mm-hmm. the guy is gonna ream her out, but the other guy, that's fine, right? You both did the same. But no, she I know, I know. And then, yeah, yeah, the whole time of. You're not. You can't be in the autopsy. You get out mm-hmm. of here, and then she's surrounded by deputies. And just, totally. How you doing? Right yeah. Back. Oh, it's such a it's such a well made movie. Uh, again, not really my genre, but I respect it for it's so effective. Right. I think it's it's. I think 
well, John Demi said when when you're making a movie that it was make it fun. They were having it fun hmm. in between takes because it's serious. Hard. Oh my gosh! I was going to say he must have been talking about the experience of making the movie, not uh, not right. like, not the movie like, itself. The whole experience of making yeah. it. Let's have fun. It's, you know, you really try to cheer up the atmosphere as they're making mm-hmm. this movie. And mm-hmm. Even they made several cakes and oh, have everybody have a piece of cake. So that's great. Yeah. The entire time filming this, he's trying to cheer yeah. up the atmosphere. Smart. Yeah. Totally. It's hard, especially when they're making a movie, because everybody's, you got 10, 12 people minimum mm-hmm. trying to do their goal, but you kind of, right. everybody's kind of, you kind of break the tension. Definitely, definitely. And I, be the referee. No, it's true. And I, you know, in my own work, the, the times that I have directed things, I've not, um, I've been very conscious of making sure it's like a, a safe and positive space for everybody to be in, you know, like. Right when we start filming, I always do a thing where it's like, okay, everyone, can we just like hang out? Let's all get together for a second. And I just want to say that we're all here to support each other. And my hope is that we're all going to create something we're proud of together. And oh, yeah. you know, the, I want an atmosphere of like respect and support. And if anything comes up that is uh, against that goal, then please let me or the producers know. It's like my like boilerplate that I say when we start a shoot, just cause I want, I want people to feel supported and I want to, Make sure everyone has what they need to enjoy themselves and create something that they're proud of, exactly. and then and then at the end of a set or, or shoot, then it's then we do. I like to do a little like, okay, thank you everyone for bringing your talent and energy. You know, here's what's going to happen next with the project. You know, it's like because yeah. a, a set is so. Anyway, I mean, yeah, not to get too far afield from Sansa Lambs, but like a set is such an interesting space to be in with people and. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like acknowledging that space and also the, like the tradition of like when someone is wrapped for the project, you know, it's like, Oh, it's so-and-so's last day. Okay. Bye. You know, like I love it when everyone pauses and we say goodbye to the, it's a crew person, it's an actor, you know, it's, um, even like the person who helped with the catering or whatever. It's like, okay, that's a wrap for so-and-so. And then they get a little applause and then they, you know, they can leave whenever they want or whatever. But, um, but yeah, sorry, this is like so far afield from from no, I think from it's Demi. Because if anybody not really being on a film set, want to make movies, yeah, um, it's not just the process of in between. You know, there's a lot of work in between right. cuts, in between action. There's a lot of completely, stuff. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're gonna shoot something and you're gonna be on set for a few several, depending on the project. But like the ratio of time that is filmed versus being on set, hanging out and working, it's maybe one to fifty. You know, like. To get one minute shot, you're going to spend 50 minutes prepping and just making sure everything's ready. So it like making it a, a, a fun experience and a meaningful experience for everyone. I think that's as a when you're directing something that that's going to be one of your goals for sure. Yeah, uh, I have to agree with a lot of because I, I want a safe environment for all the cast and crews. Mm-hmm. And I, I emphasize, number one, I want to make sure everybody gets to show off their talents. Definitely. So yeah. If you're a good dancer, let's put it in there. Completely, completely. If you're really funny, let's yeah. put it in there, right? Yeah, totally. And number two is, yeah, um, you're never going to know how a movie is going to be received. Mm-hmm. It could be the worst thing ever happened or sure. the best thing. But yeah. the bar darn, have fun doing it. Man. Have fun, have fun and honor other people's stuff. And, you know, as, as someone who's written a lot, uh, actors and everyone else on the crew, they're going to make it better. So just like enable them to do that and collaborate and you know the goal is always to make a project better it's not to be there to like dictate what you want from people you know like it's collaborative i guess that's the easiest way to say it it is absolutely it is yeah yeah well peter thanks for coming man oh wow 
did are we yeah that flew by thank you it kind of did that, that was really right, fun yeah. it's just like when you write your first three pages and it starts going yes yeah yeah, 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 yeah. totally totally um, thank you so thank you guys I, I love the writing i love talking to writers um i think writers should get together Cheers. more often and just i know there should be like a place that you just go and just talk i know i know uh hopefully again soon for sure because i have to say when you're a writer and then you talk to other people you're almost like no you should say this <laughs> totally, I I totally. Like, you're editing the other person as you like go along. Totally. Ask, no, ask it this way. I know. Totally. Be more direct. <laughs> Be more emotionally honest. <laughs> and yeah. then, then they give you like a funky look, right? Yeah. Well, totally. thanks again, Peter. Thank and, you. Thank you. Um, as you know, it's not over till the guests say it's over. Can I? How do? How should I say it? Should I be like definitive, or should I be like it's over? I guess. There it is. Okay, it's over. 